This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WBXU. I'm Lucy May. The traditional script for romance involves finding that one true love, but people who are polyamorous don't expect one person to be able to meet all their needs. And Pew Research Center data suggests that younger adults and people who are living with their partners are more likely to view an open marriage as acceptable. Joining me in this recorded interview to talk about polyamory, how people in the U.S. feel about it, and what monogamous couples might be able to learn from it are Pew Research Center Research Associate Rachel Minkin. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thanks for having me. Polyamorous psychotherapist and author of Polysecure, Attachment, Trauma, and Consensual Non-Monogamy, Jessica Fern. Thanks for being here, Jessica. Yes, thanks for having me, too. Cincinnati resident Rachel Moore. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Pleasure. And Cincinnati resident Alex Dalsfoist. Thanks for being here, Alex. Thank you. Good morning. Rachel Minkin, I want to start with you. Pew Research Center released some data on the modern American family, including a question related to open marriages. Tell us what you asked and what you found. Sure. In our survey in April 2023, we were trying to understand Americans' views of trends in marriage, fertility, and family life. So we asked Americans what they think about open marriages, which we defined as a marriage where both spouses agree that they can date or have sex with other people. We found that Americans are skeptical about these sorts of marriages. Half of Americans say open marriages are somewhat or completely unacceptable. A third say these marriages are somewhat or completely acceptable. And 16% say they're neither acceptable nor unacceptable. How do those attitudes vary based on gender and race or ethnicity? We did see differences across these key demographic groups. We found that men are more likely than women to say open marriages are acceptable. 36% of men versus 30% of women say this. Um, We saw some differences uh, by race and ethnicity. Uh, Asian adults are more open, are more likely to say open marriages are acceptable than white, Hispanic, and black adults. And also by by age, we see that half of adults under age 30, uh, about half of adults under age 30 say open marriages are acceptable. And these shares go down steadily with age. So older adults are um, are more and more like are less likely to say that they're acceptable. Excuse me. So younger people are more accepting to this idea of open marriages. Have young people just always been more open to these kinds of relationships than than older adults? We see with our survey that uh, the shares go down steadily with age and those who uh, say that the that open marriages are acceptable. Um, so this was the first time we asked this question on our surveys. Okay. Are there significant differences when it comes to people's marital status, people who are currently married, have been divorced, or, or their sexual orientation, or even their the political parties they affiliate with? We do see differences across these measures. So unmarried adults who are living with a partner are the most likely to say that open marriages are acceptable. Married adults and those who are divorced, separated, or widowed are more likely than those who are living with a partner or have never been married to say open marriages are unacceptable. And we see differences by sexual orientation. Three quarters of lesbian, gay, or bisexual adults say open marriages are acceptable, a much higher share than straight adults, 29% of whom say it's acceptable. And there are differences by political party. So a majority of Republicans say open marriages are unacceptable. 64% among among, uh, Republicans say they're unacceptable, while 20% say they're acceptable. And among Democrats, we see Um, views that are more mixed. So 47% of Democrats say open marriages are acceptable and 36% say they're unacceptable. 
Well, this has been very helpful. I've been talking with Pew Research Center Research Associate Rachel Minkin. Thanks so much for your time today, Rachel. Thank you. Now let's talk about how polyamorous people commit to multiple partners. Jessica, Pew asked its question using the term open marriage, which is, as I understand it, is not exactly the same thing as polyamory. How do you define polyamory? That's right. So polyamory would be where people are looking to have multiple in-love partnerships. Where usually open marriage um, is a term for people that are married and they're having more casual sexual or romantic relationships on the side or maybe even together as a couple. And even these ways that I'm defining them now, there's much more variety and nuance in you know how people define it themselves or how they practice it. And Jessica, I've also seen the term consensual non-monogamy. Talk about the importance of the word consensual in that term, first of all, and how that's different from polyamory. Yes. Well, consensual non-monogamy would be the umbrella term that something like open marriage or polyamory falls under. And you're spot on that keyword consensual. So consensual is meaning that everyone involved knows and is consenting to multiple partner romantic or sexual relationships. So that's, this isn't cheating. That's the main distinction, which would be non-consensual non-monogamy. Rachel, what does polyamory offer you that, that monogamy doesn't? And I, I ask that um, by, by saying this isn't solely about what happens in the bedroom, right? There are lots of layers and nuance to this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in you know some form of an open relationship uh, for many years, but the polyamorous part was definitely uh, an evolution at times. And it's the ability to really get to know somebody on a fully intimate way to really, you know, get invested in them, you know, get to know who they are as a human, you know, delight in them, you know, help them grow. And uh, I just have been somebody that always felt, you know, able to be doing that with multiple people in my life. And and it's felt very right way to love people for me. What about you, Alex? Yeah, one of the hardest things once you get into relationship and, and marriage that they never tell you about before is how difficult it is to make new friends and uh, uh, develop new friendships when you're already married. Like for a lot of people, their friends are basically their new friends are their spouse's old friends. That's that's what it is. Um, but now to be able to cultivate adult friendships and then see just naturally where it goes and to be able to let your partner have the autonomy to do the same. They're still their own person. Um, they're still you know, they still have their own interests and their own needs and wants as a person. It's nice to be in a relationship structure that gives everybody the freedom to explore that space. Do you, um, Alex and, and Rachel, do either of you or both of you feel comfortable talking about a time you've fallen in love with multiple partners and sort of how that's worked? You want to go first, Alex? Yeah. Okay. So love is uh, one of those tricky things where um, even if you can use the same word, you're still feeling different things for different people. And I can say I have been in love with multiple people at the same time, but the way I would express it, the type of relationship I would have with them uh, might still be very different. And they can exist concurrently. Uh, with the right communication, with the right, um, I think Rachel said, consent. Uh, make sure everybody is on board with what's going on. It is possible, but I can understand if you grew up in a society where it's about finding your one and only true, uh, it seems like it's something that could not work out. But it's there. It's available. What about you, Rachel? Uh, I like to joke that I, I've made all of the mistakes when it comes to open relationships. So I have I have a lot of stories. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, I you know, first you know, called myself polyamorous when I was with my ex-husband, and it was 
a situation where I was trying to, you know, basically explore having a relationship with somebody else that I'd fallen in love with. And it was something I was trying to, you know, in my view, like save my marriage by also still getting to explore these other feelings that felt so vital to me. And of course that exploded, you know, monumentously. And uh, for a little while, you know, my, my uh, current husband, uh, who was, I'm still with, uh, he uh, and I were more of the open relationship model. Uh, but I, I kept falling in love, you know, and I kept wanting more attachment. And finally we said, you know, okay, we need to learn how to do this in a way where we're healthy for ourselves and healthy for our, the other people in our lives. And that's actually where, yeah, I went to a polyamory conference, uh, saw Jessica Fern speak and start talking about uh, ways that we could do it in a healthier way. Yeah. Did that help you kind of define what you were feeling and understand it a little better? Definitely. Yes. And it really, um, I loved, you know, once I got into the world of being able to read advice and and healthy things, I realized how much I had been uh you know, focusing a little bit more on myself and a lot of these approaches. And it actually made me, I think, uh, a lot better able to support all of my partners. We're talking in this recorded interview about polyamory and what monogamous couples might be able to learn from it. Jessica, your book, Polysecure, explores the role of attachment in relationships. Talk about how that's important in polyamory and in monogamous relationships. Yes. Well, attachment is important, I think, in all human relationships, especially close ones, not just necessarily romantic, um, but the ones, the people that we are truly bonding with and relying on and being attuned and connected to. Um, And so it was really important for me to bring something forth that connected attachment to non-monogamy specifically, um, because first there's the obvious polyamory, you know, these are people who are forging multiple attachment relationships. So there's something really relevant there to look at that population of people. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of the attachment literature was very mononormative and um, could almost pathologize people practicing polyamory. So we needed something that was a non-pathologizing approach. Tell us a little bit more about that, that this non-pathologizing approach, because, you know, as Alex said, if you've grown up and you've been told from, you know, almost from birth, there's one person for you, you stick with one person, um, that I imagine kind of feeds into this pathologizing that there must be something wrong with you if that doesn't work or if you want to have multiple partners. Talk about how you have a non-pathologizing approach to that attachment from people who are polyamorous. Yeah, I think it's accepting and embracing that um, people can define the ways they want to do relationships and that they want to do love and the ways they want to construct their families. And as long as it is consensual, it's not harming people. And the truth of the matter is that most people who say they're monogamous, statistically, there's a lot of cheating. And so this is sort of you know, circumventing the cheating um, and really bringing things into the forefront, into the light. So I think it's just embracing this is a valid relationship structure. This is a valid orientation that people have now and have been living for as long as I think humans have been around. Alex and Rachel, I want to get your thoughts on how much communication and trust polyamory involves. And that comes, that consensual word comes back into this. Um, Alex, how transparent do you need to be with your partners to really 
make this work? Uh, it's the the answer is going to vary from partner to partner. Like in the beginning, with me and my spouse right now, we wanted to talk everything out, and we didn't want to take even a small step without talking to each other and making sure is everything still okay? Is everything are you okay with everything? How are you feeling? Eventually, the trust grows from there, and uh, it's gotten you know to a different level now. But the trust is the most important part, and and. Even in these open spaces, it is absolutely possible to breach that trust, and very bad things can still happen. Uh, poly and open does not mean uh, you have a green light to do anything you want to do. So I'm glad that we're to be able to talk about that. Yeah. Rachel, what about your experience? Yeah, I definitely have felt that I got a lot better at communicating throughout uh, becoming you know, better at polyamory. Um, and it wasn't just communicating around like who are you seeing or what kind of protection you're using or just the logistics. The real communication that I had to learn was about being vulnerable about my feelings and actually asking for reassurance when I was feeling, you know, insecure or, you know, being willing to hear somebody else's, uh, you know, emotions and to not be defensive and to be open to that. And I was so much better able to give support when I got better at that. Mm-hmm. What about um, scheduling? And that might sound like a dumb question, <laughs> but I would imagine it's really important to make sure you're dedicating time to all the people that you love or care about in these different relationships. No, we, we laugh because one of the jokes in the poly community is that poly relationships are just for people who love scheduling. <laughs> um, and there, there's jokes about uh, if there are four people in a polycule, how many Google calendars do they have between them? <laughs> um, Scheduling is absolutely important. Every relationship has a different requirement for how much energy level and time it takes. And making sure that uh, every relationship has the time and space it needs is really important. The term we use is polysaturated to describe, yeah, technically you're poly, technically you are open to more partners, but you don't have the emotional bandwidth or sometimes just the time to dedicate to that new relationship. Yeah, it it definitely forces you to, uh, you have to get really honest about your priorities and you can't be a people pleaser. You know, I, you know, scheduling is really important, not just for your romantic partners, but you have to learn to schedule time for yourself. If you end up in a situation where you're only trying to to date lots of people, you know, that's not going to be good for anybody. Yeah. Jessica, I have to imagine there are times when one partner in a marriage, for example, or a a committed long-term relationship is interested in polyamory and the other partner is not. How do couples navigate that? Yeah, and that is one of the more difficult, you know, dynamics for me to encounter as a psychotherapist is when we have the eager partner and the more reluctant or hesitant partner. And so what I counsel them on and advise is going slow. Um, not moving too quickly, but how do we agree to certain things like that are moving forward, the process forward, and really supporting the person who's more reluctant to see why. Is it the cultural beliefs that they're being influenced by? Is their own their own personal history or traumas maybe around something like cheating um, that they need support with healing that trauma? Uh, what parts of them are resisting or struggling with the non-monogamy? And I'd say more than half the time when people really get support as a couple for this, uh, the reluctant partner really winds up wanting to do it. And then, of course, there's times where it's just not the right fit for that partner. Mm -hmm. 
Jessica, in in talking with people about how I was going to be doing this interview, I've heard people kind of quip, boy, if you're polyamorous, I bet that makes Valentine's Day complicated or that's a lot of anniversaries <laughs> to remember. Um, is that is that the wrong way to think about it? Um, I think so. I mean, yes, as you know, was just spoken about, there's lots of scheduling. Um, but just to see that as a burden instead of, wow, there's an abundance of love and now there's more chocolate for everyone, right? We could also <laughs> frame it in that way instead of it sort of being about taking away. Um, so non-monogamous folks, right? Maybe you're with one partner for half of Valentine's Day or you don't celebrate Valentine's Day at all or you celebrate Valentine's Day on a different day. And the same thing happens with holidays and birthdays is it's just being creative with the scheduling and not sticking rigidly to things have to happen on a certain day or else. How do you all handle that? I'll start with you, Rachel. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I've never been a big Valentine's Day person, to be right. honest. And I, you know, one of the reasons I think I'm so naturally inclined toward polyamory is that I do really value my emotional autonomy. Uh, but uh, for this Valentine's Day, where I'm actually doing a, a group dinner uh, with, a, with a couple of partners, and uh, we're just having a nice time uh, going out together. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's different. You know, some people are more into holidays than others, and that's okay. Um, and depending on, like, the kind of relationship structure you have, sometimes it is one big party, and sometimes it's several smaller celebrations. Um, I honestly can't recall the last time I celebrated my birthday on my birthday. <laughs> you know, we're, schedules, uh, work, and other things creep up, and we just get used to the idea of uh, celebrate the occasion, just not on that same day. Yeah. I've read that people in polyamory uh, or polyamorous relationships interpret jealousy as kind of a signal. Um, Rachel, what does it mean to you when a partner expresses jealousy? Uh, I, one of the things that's been really helpful is for me to realize that, you know, emotions come from the body. So jealousy is your body's way of signaling that something that you feel like you really need uh, for your survival, something you really value, may be being threatened. It's kind of an alert system. Uh, so you know, I've learned that, you know, if I'm feeling jealous, that means I need to talk to my partner about that. And, you know, what can I, you know, I ask for reassurance. And so often that's actually all I need is just for somebody to kind of hear my emotions and, you know, reassure me that, you know, it's okay and, and that things are things are going well. So, How do you interpret that signal, Alex? Yeah. When in, in earlier times when I was still very new to this, jealousy was absolutely a thing. And, and honestly, jealousy is still a thing. It's it's a natural human emotion. And the most important part about that is to talk it out and to find ways to communicate before you start filling in the blanks in your head with stuff that, you know, it's, it's mostly your imagination. It's not even for real. The more you talk it out, the more you have open communication. But as Rachel said, how you're actually feeling, which is the tough part, you know, hearing about what your partner wants and, and, and does is easy. Being able to express how you feel and what's going on in your mind, that's the tough part. And so when that jealousy comes up, it's about talking about it, figuring out where it's coming from, what's causing it, what we can do about it. Jessica, does that get back to just how important communication is for these relationships, for, for any relationships, really? Yeah, absolutely. And what's already been said, too, is the emotional intelligence piece, the ability to know what's going on with oneself and then being able to and be vulnerable and be able to share that with our partners. So it's not just logistical communication, it's emotional relational communication. 
Jessica, I don't know if you saw this, but polyamory has become a topic for reality TV with this couple to thruple show on Peacock. I just saw that last (laughs) night being advertised. (laughs) What, if anything, does that say to you about the interest in polyamory or, or the acceptance of it? Yes, I don't haven't seen the show yet, um, but I was thrilled to see that there's something, you know, that um, even if it's not the right representation that maybe everyone in the different poly communities would like to see, it's showing that um, it's becoming more mainstream. And it is shows like that that can really start to normalize some of these things. So I think it's a move in the right direction. But of course, I haven't seen the show yet. <laughs> Did either of you want to add anything? I heard some real groans yeah, in the studio. Only, only yeah. that the, the throuple is a, a much maligned relationship structure. Um, it's, yeah. It is if if it's if it's what everybody in there wants and is looking for. Sure, it's fine. But uh, it's there's so much more to it uh, to different poly relationship structures that I hope those start to get more mainstreamed also. Yeah, Yeah, it it seems like uh, a lot of times uh, that approach is more about taking the rules of monogamy and adding a third person rather than really reimagining your entire relationship. Oh, interesting. Jessica, what do you think people in monogamous relationships could learn from polyamory and people who are in these poly communities? Yeah, I think one of the things that, again, has already been mentioned about not expecting our partner, even if we have one, to meet every single one of our relational needs, that our monogamous relationships actually will thrive better when we have more of a network of intimate connections, family, friends, coworkers. And then, of course, the communication piece that we've all been emphasizing. Many monogamous relationships can kind of get into default mode where that's really hard to be in that default mode in polyamorous relationships. And a lot of people I know who have read my book that are monogamous, they say, wow, this is, you know, applicable to any kind of relationship structure, which I think is true. Yeah. What do you think, Alex? Um, I like throwing out the idea of compersion, the idea of being genuinely happy for someone else's happiness. And in a, in a relationship, that also means that if my partner is happy because of something someone else did, if they found satisfaction and, and fulfillment in that, you know what? I'm happy for them. I'm happy that they got that. Even if it didn't come from me, they got something that helped them be a better person. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the interesting things for me is that as I have done the emotional work to get myself into a healthier place with polyamory, it's actually made all of my relationships easier. And I'm actually focusing right now, I'm in a phase, uh, I'm focusing more on friendships and my personal relationship with myself more so even than other romantic relationships because I'm ready for that. Well, I've been talking with polyamorous psychotherapist and author of Polysecure, Attachment, Trauma, and Consensual Non-Monogamy, Jessica Fern, Cincinnati resident Rachel Moore, and Cincinnati resident Alex Dalsvoist. Thank you all so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. Our producer is Selena Reeder. Associate producer is Asia Johnson. Technical directors are Marshall Verbsky and Ella Rowan. I'm Lucy May. Thanks for listening.